am excited this morning. I tell you, I, if I could just jump around for a while, I'd be okay because, you know, I, I, um, I could hardly sleep last night thinking about the good things that God has done for us. And you're going to be excited when you hear about some of the good things this morning. You know, in your life, there's situations to where it looks and seems as though it's totally hopeless. You ever been there to where it seems like hopeless? You're either sick and they say there's no way out. You're either broke and underneath the barrel and you can't come to the top of it. Or uh, your, your marriage looks like divorce is the only way. Bankruptcy is the only way. And death is the only way. Well, hopelessness, sometimes in hopeless situations, people won't stay in a hopeless situation most of the time. They'll begin to seek God and find other ways to do things and uh, come out of the hopeless situation. But I want us to look at some situations in the Bible this morning that were totally hopeless situations. And then we're going to go in a in a fun direction when we get done with that. These people had some hopeless situations in their lives, but um, God was able to help them to turn them around. So before we do this morning, I want us to pray and join our faith together. And uh, you guys believe God with me. You know how much I enjoy doing this. So uh, believe God with me, you know, that, that his words come out and the anointing is there to uh, do what he wants it to accomplish this morning. Father, we just lift up this service to you this morning. We just ask you that your anointing come in here this morning and rest upon us and make my tongue is the pen of a ready writer father give me the words to say that would help in each and every person that's in here father whatever situation that they're going through we ask you for your wisdom and your words to help them through that father and i just ask you that your anointing go forth and destroy every yoke that's on their lives father and i just thank you that your words will not return void but they will go and accomplish the things that you've set them out to do and we are all in agreement about this this morning and everybody that agrees said amen Amen. 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 Well, you can turn to these scriptures, but I'm just pretty much going to tell you a story about them as we go along. And I've, you know, you know me. I wrote. I told Keith when I started out, I had 16 pages of notes last night, but I've got it down now to uh, let's see how many. Um, seven. So you're in good shape. Four o'clock, we'll be in good shape. So um, um, I'm going to tell about Karen's favorite story this morning, Joseph, for a little bit. Everybody know the story of Joseph. Did Joseph have a hopeless situation in his life? What happened to Joseph? Joseph was 17 years old. This is in Genesis 37, if anybody wants to turn there. And if you guys want to put it up on the screen, Genesis 37, verse 2. It starts out and it says, uh, Joseph was 17 years old and he had a dream. And he was a real wise man. He told his brothers his dream. And the dream was that they were all going to bow down to him and worship him. Now, that would go over real big, wouldn't it, with your younger brother coming to you and telling you that. Well, they had no love lost for him, and so um, they said that um, they weren't going to bow down to him. And um, so they went out in the field, and they were feeding the flock, and his daddy sent him out there to feed the flock. You all know the story. And um, when he got out there, they saw him coming, and they said, you know what? We could just kill him. Now, that's sweet brothers, right? That's a loving, kind family. Sweet brothers. We, we'll just kill him. And... Um, because uh, we're not ever going to bow down to him. They didn't care for him because he was his daddy's favorite. So uh, they um, said that they were going to kill him. And so his older brother said, no, 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 no. Let's just drop him down in this pit and we won't have to kill him. It won't have any blood on our hands. And he was going to go back and get him out later. Well, they put him down in the pit and then they decided, well, 
We don't want to do that either. We're not going to get anything out of them if we do. And so they saw these other guys coming along. Let's see. They were uh, Midianite merchantmen. And he so- they sold him, Joseph, to them for uh, 20 pieces of silver. So they made a little money off of him. And then what happened to Joseph? He got down in the pit. He got sold in Egyptian bondage again. And then what happened to him? He went to Potiphar's house. And served as a slave in Potiphar's house. Well, then that nice woman, Potiphar's wife, um, tried to get him to sleep with her. And she wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. So she lied on him and said, uh, anybody ever lied on you? Yeah. So she lied on him and said that he had tried to do some things to her. And so where does he wind up? In prison. So he's had a wonderful life to this point in time, right? So uh, his brothers didn't like him. His family didn't like him. So he wound up in prison. So you remember that story. Don't forget it because we're going to come back to it, okay? Then the next story I want to remind you about is um, David. Do you all know the story of David? David went out and he was fighting for the Lord. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 30. He was fighting for the Lord. And um, he came back home. And what had happened? We're going to have to start a bookmark where we read our Old Testament as well as our New Testament. Yes. Um, he went out and he was fighting in Ziglag. And when he came back home, uh, verse 2 says, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 2. And when he came back, the whole city of Ziglag was burned with fire. And they had taken the women captive. And they slew not any, uh, neither great or small, but carried them all away and went on their way. And David and his men came back to the city. And behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Now, that's a bad situation. Isn't it? You come back home after fighting, you're tired, you're worn out, and you come back in and no one's there to cook your supper. Or whatever. But your whole family's gone. Your kids are gone. So verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. That means they cried for a while. They were upset about this. Their kids, their wives, their families, everything they had is gone. They have nothing left. That's a bad situation. You ever felt like you were there? Nothing left. He's in a bad situation. And um, so it says, verse 5, David's two wives were taken captive. And um, uh, then it says in verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Because of their soul being so grieved for every man, his sons and his daughters. So we've got the story of Joseph. He didn't, things weren't going well for Joseph. He was in prison. He'd been put in a dungeon. I mean, he'd been put everywhere. And and he wound up staying in prison. Okay, then we've got David. Now, these are people that served God in mighty ways in their lifetime. Is that correct? Okay, this is David. David winds up with his whole family missing. He doesn't know if they're dead. He doesn't know if they're alive. He knows nothing. He just knows that they're missing and everything that they have is burned to the ground. That's a bad situation. Right? Okay, let's look at another one. Second Kings. Chapter 4. It tells the story of the Shunammite woman. How she honored the prophet of God. How the prophet would come through there and uh, Elisha would go through there and he would uh, stop at her house because she cooked good. You, you know, she had to cook good because uh, it'd say he always turned in thither to eat bread. You see that, right? Well, he was smart. He found a good cook and he stopped there to eat. So um, she said, 
I perceive that this is a man of God. Let's build him a chamber or a room and let's fix it up nice for him so that whenever he comes through here, he can stop and eat and have a place to rest and refresh himself. So um, uh, because of her doing that, in verse, let's see, um, 14, he tells his servant, Gehazi, to go and get her and, and we're going to find out what this woman wants or what this woman needs because she's been so good to me. That's the way God is. You serve God and he's going to do the things that you need in your life. Well, this woman, he found out she didn't have a child. So she bore a son. She conceived and bore a son. And then in verse 18, everybody look at that. It said, the child was grown and it fell on that day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to the lad, carry him to his mother. And when they had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat down on her knees till noon. And then what happened? He died. So you got somebody that's in prison. Things ain't going real well for him. You got somebody that thinks that their wife and family and kids and everything that they own is totally and utterly and completely destroyed. Then you got a mother that didn't have a son to begin with and God blessed her with a son and now it looks like he's dead. Is that a bad situation? Bad. Hopeless. Does it look hopeless? Any one of these situations, does it look like there's any way of escape in any one of these? None. No way of escape. Totally hopeless. So let's look at another situation. Let's look at Daniel chapter 3. And everybody knows this story because everybody went to Sunday school when they were little. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are there. And um, King Nebuchadnezzar, a messed up man, wound up eating grass in a field like a cow. But um, anyway, verse 12, it says, uh, There were certain Jews that they had set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they refused to serve Nebuchadnezzar's gods. Is the gist of it. They just absolutely refused to serve his gods. They know the real, one real true God is God, our God, God our Father, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Him. And um, they refused to, to serve Him. And so in verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar became full of fury and um, even his uh, personage changed. He looked like a different person. And he said, go and command them that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was normally heated. And he commanded in verse 20 that the most mighty men uh, that were in his army bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and take them and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And therefore, because of the king's command was urgent, the fiery furnace was exceeding hot. The flames of the fire slew the men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So now these big, strong, mighty men, when they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, they died. Because the fire was so hot, seven times hotter than it had ever been. And so uh, they died. And so here you have it in verse 23. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, that's a bad day. That's kind of a hopeless day. You know, wouldn't you say you wake up that morning and somebody comes and gets you and ties you up and binds you up? I mean, and then they say, where's a, a furnace that can burn stuff really, really hot? 
Let's find it. And they take you, the three of you, and they throw you into a burning, fiery furnace. That's kind of hopeless, isn't it? Kind of a bad, hopeless situation. Anybody had a hopeless situation in their life? Every person in here can probably raise their hand about a hopeless situation in their life. So that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we've got like four hopeless situations, totally and completely hopeless to this point. Right? Let's look at another one. Let's look at Daniel chapter 6. And again, you don't have to turn to these because I'm just going to briefly tell the story about them and then we're going to go from there. Um, Darius was set king over the kingdom and he appointed 120 princes to help him do his job because he couldn't do everything and the people were to report to them. And he said Daniel was the first of the princes. And... Um, In other words, he was the highest one of all the princes. Well, what happens when you have more clout than somebody else does? Jealousy, envy, jealousy. So Daniel was, in verse 3, he was preferred above all the other presidents and the princes because of his excellent spirit. And um, said that in verse 4, the presidents and the princes sought to find an occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could not find one occasion or fault. Now, wouldn't that be great if somebody tried to find something against you and they couldn't find one occasion or fault? That's a good thing. So they had to make something up, okay? Verse 8, they go to the king and they say, Oh, king, let's make a decree. There's nothing wrong with him. He's done nothing wrong. So let's make a decree, okay? And it says that he can't, that these people can't worship any god except for your god. They can't pray out loud. They can't do anything uh, except for to uh, and when you say they can do it. So... Verse 10 says what Daniel did. Daniel listened real well, and he knew that the decree was signed, and he went into his house, and he flung open his windows, and he prayed on his knees three times a day and gave thanks probably as loud as he could. Don't you imagine? I mean, he was maybe a little rebellion was coming out there. Tell me I can't pray to God. So um, in verse 11, Then these men assembled, and they found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So what happens? The king commands them, and they brought Daniel to him. And where did Daniel wind up? In the lion's den. That was the decree, that if they worshipped another god, they were going to get thrown into the lion's den. And they said not only did he get thrown into the lion's den, but a stone was put there on the mouth so that he couldn't get out. And uh, the king sealed it with his signet, and he went. then the king himself, I'm, I'm thinking this king must have had a little bit of faith. You'll see it in a few minutes. The king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were there instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep was gone from him. So do these situations seem, would you like to be, uh, you're praying here in the church, and they say, you can't do that anymore. So they gather you up. And grab you and take you and find a lion and throw you into a pit with probably a lion that hasn't eaten for several days and throw you into this pit. Is that a hopeless situation? Pretty hopeless to me. Seems pretty hopeless. What happens in hopeless situations in most of our lives? Most of the time... People that are in hopeless situations, I mean, if you know a real hopeless situation, what if you see an accident's about to happen, what do you do? Most people, if they, if they see on an airline a plane is about to crash, what happens? They start praying. 
People that's never prayed before, you'll hear them crying out to God. They're about to get thrown into the lion's den. What will they do? Cry out to God. They don't have food to eat. What will they do? Cry out to God. They don't have money to pay their bills. A lot of people will cry out to God. And they will find out that God will help them through their situation. They will they will get up and they, He'll help them through their situation. But then they get to a place that I call conformity or settling. And that's where I say 98% of Christians are today. They're past the hopeless situation just a little bit. They're surviving. They've got food on their table. They're not starving. They're not about to be kicked out on the street. Where are they? Conformity. Settling. That's what happened to the Israelites. They got out of the bondages that they were in. They prayed, got out of the bondages that they were in, but wound up in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, that's a long time to be rebellious because it really would have only taken them maybe two weeks, three at the maximum, to walk across the wilderness and get to Canaan's land. But they decided this is better than what we had in the long run, you know, and and they conformed to being where they are. They settled for that. They settled for that I get a paycheck this week that will meet my bills and I'm doing okay. They settled for, well, I've got this little hitch in my side but you know i can still get along i remember a story brother hagan tells about and uh, there was this woman that came up in the healing line and uh, i think she was deaf and uh, she came up in the healing line and she had a walker with her and she was walking up in the healing line and uh, she got in the healing line and she stood there she turned around and and brother hagan says what's wrong with you and and she says huh he says what's wrong with you and she says huh and he tells it just like that you know and um he says what's wrong with you and he yells it really loud and she says i can't hear i want healing for my ears i can't hear and he said um okay um and so uh he prays for her hearing and um she gets healed of her hearing he says well what about that walker don't you want to be healed of that oh no i can live with that i just couldn't hear i had to be able to hear (laughs) she can live with the walker but she's got to be able to hear when God could have healed them both instantly at the same time. But she was willing to settle for that situation in her life. Settle for that. A lot of people will do that in their lives. They will say they're attacked in their body. And the doctors say there's no hope. There's no chance you're going to die. Well, they'll do whatever it takes. You know, they'll go to healing school. They'll get in the Word. They'll find out what it is to survive. But what if they have migraines? Or what if they have arthritis? Or what if they have indigestion all the time? Or what if they have um, a ankle problem or a knee problem or a joint problem or whatever symptoms that there might be or what if you're broke and you finally get a job and this job pays 5.25 an hour and you've got enough to feed yourself but you've got to you know uh rob peter to pay paul to pay your bills that's where most people are at that conformity settling stage they're at that stage where they're not going to die and they're not healthy 
They're in the middle somewhere. And that's where most people are with their finances. They're not broke, but they didn't have somebody just give them a, a brand new diamond ring and a, uh, a brand new diamond bracelet and uh, all the other things. They're, they're not prospering either. They're not overcoming. They're settling. Why do people do that? Everybody's saying it. Because it's easy. It's easy. Timothy says, fight the good fight of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What happens in people's lives is, why do you have one person that is victorious and overcoming and has things happening in their lives and lives in a nice house and drives a good car? And then you've got another person that settles with the transmission not quite working and the heater works sometime. Why is that? Anybody know? Because it's easy. It's easy just to get up and go through life and kind of let come what may, you know, throughout the day. It just happens and it, we just do, you know, we just go on. And if God blesses us, that's great. And if he doesn't bless us, well, we're making it. We'll be all right. You know, something that really aggravates me, and Keith, he, he puts up with me, bless his heart. But it really, really aggravates me when I have to get up every day. And I have to seek God about what I'm to do that day. And I have to pray. And I have to stand in faith. And I have to believe God for the bills of the church to be paid. Or I have to believe God to do payroll. Or I have to believe God uh, that this person doesn't die. Or, or, you know, or, or I have to do this. Or And then you get somebody that comes in totally and completely unwilling, unyielded to God unwilling to do what God wants them to do, but they want to use your money that you had to believe God for yourself and your faith and you had to stand for and you had to uh, do whatever it took to believe God for it. They want you to just come. They want to just come in and you hand it to them. But they don't like faith. But that's what you have that you're using every day that's putting you over to where you have the extra $10 to be able to help somebody. Those people that just gave Jonathan that car. Well, they most likely are believing God for another car, wouldn't you assume? Well, it would be real easy just to keep that Mustang and drive it for another year or two till it falls apart or whatever the case would be. And not get in faith and not stand and say, thank you, Lord, for my new car every time they think about it. Thank you, Lord, you're bringing me a new car. Now, where would Jonathan be without the car? But it's, it's a job. It's not easy to get up and say, I'm going to believe God for something today so that I can give somebody else something. It's not easy. It's, it's much easier just to go through life just the way that it is. La-di-da. If we have it, we do. If we don't, we don't. And then just settle for whatever's going on in your life. That's not okay with God. He says without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, you've got some people in here that's learning about faith. You've got some people in here that, I mean, they are stirred up every day. You hear it coming out of their mouths. 
You hear them. I'm getting a new house. I see it every day. Susan and Kevin, y'all getting a new house? Yay! They're getting a new house. Yeah. Mike and Mary Lou, y'all getting a new house? Where are they sitting? Are they over there? Yeah, y'all getting a new house? Yes, they're getting a new house. I mean, they're believing God. I know what they've been doing. They've been getting up. They've been giving. They've been sowing into other people. They've been believing God. It didn't just fall on them out of the sky. They had to put their faith to action. They had to take steps. They had to believe God. When things looked like it wasn't going to happen, they didn't just say, oh, well, I'm tired of believing God for these headaches to go away. I'll just take some more medicine. What faith is, is when you've had that headache for six months and you wake up a day after the six months and that headache is still there, what do you do? You get up and you say, I don't care what I feel or what I see. Phyllis Moore, you are healed. You're healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. You're healed. And when it pounds and, and, and you're hurting, then you say it again and you get your, you go out and you get your scriptures. By Jesus stripes, I was healed. Now it's lots easier on the flesh to run in there and take some pill. But that's the difference between people having a new home, a new car, a new job, a new baby, a new whatever the situation is. It's because every day they live by faith. They don't get up one morning and say, oh, I'm just going to settle for what I have. You know, Brother Kenneth said something the other day on the broadcast, and I had seen him when he said it the first time. He said, you do not... Do this number. You do not go like this and then get here on this plateau and just stay there. You either go like this or you go like this. You're either continuously going up or you're falling back. I know when we started believing God for a tank of gas. I know when we started believing God for a meal. And it's only grown since then. You don't slack off of your faith. You feed your faith. It's kind of like a fire. That a fire, if it's not getting oxygen, what will happen to it? It will die. What is oxygen to you? The word. Your faith. Your words out of your mouth. You should never afford yourself the luxury of just saying, I don't feel good today, and pulling the sheet over your head and crawling back under the covers. I mean, we all have... Things that happen in our lives. Every person in here has been attacked in some area or another. Whether it's their finances or their marriage or their kids or their job. I mean, I had to stand for my marriage. I had to stand like gangbusters when Keith and I first got married. My mom and dad will tell you, we grew up. Um, my mom, pretty much, you know my mom. Um, she uh, likes to talk and likes to run things. That's the way I grew up. I knew nothing about submission. I knew nothing about that I was supposed to submit to my husband. Keith grew up up on the other side of the spectrum to where his dad was the head of the house and nothing else happened and you put those two together and it's kind of like tying two cat's tails together and throwing them across a clothesline (laughs) but every day I'd get up and I'd say thank you God I have a wonderful marriage I have a strong marriage it's a good marriage the devil is bound he cannot destroy my marriage Now, you know, it'd been real easy just to say, you know what? Let's just get a divorce. Be done with it. Let's just get a divorce. Nobody could be as miserable as we are. Let's just get a divorce. But you know what? 
God smarter. He knew you guys would be here. See? And he didn't allow us to quit. He kept encouraging us. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. It will affect more than just you and Keith if you quit. It'll affect people down the road if you quit. But that's what people don't think about a lot of times. Your faith affects more people than just you sitting in that chair. Your faith affects everybody and everything around you. Whether you have it or whether you don't. Would you rather be in a room with me or in a room with somebody that's crying and depressed? Do you see what I'm saying? Joy. Nobody wants to be around anybody that's always talking about what's going wrong in their lives. Dave can tell you. These guys can tell you. We deal with stuff from the... I get 200 plus emails a day. A day. That I deal with. And some of them are pretty simple. Yes, no answer. Some of them are this man just shot at his wife. Some of them are these people are getting a divorce. Some of them are these people are getting kicked out of their house. Those are not fun things to deal with. And I do. Don't get me wrong. I am compassionate about the person that's getting kicked out of their house. I do not believe that anybody should ever get kicked out of their house. I believe there ought to be some way that people should not be able to be kicked out of their house. You know, something should be done to where that that's not. But then on the other side, it aggravates the, I'll use, I won't say that word. I was going to say the snot, but I won't say it. (laughs) Out of me. That I have to get up every day and believe God for my bills to be paid. And I have to put God first in my life every single day. And I can't back off. And I don't have time to rest. And I don't have time to think about, well, is it optional that I go to church today or is it not? But now I have to get my faith out there along with believing for all the things for the ministry and all the things for the church and all these people's situations to believe God that they have the money not to get kicked out of their house. Do you understand that? And it's not pick on everybody. It's I want you to see some things this morning. Conformity is a devil thing. It is settling for the devil's best in your life. He's found out he's not going to keep you in hopeless, but he's got you into conformity. And you're okay with it. You're okay with it. You're okay with that weakness in your life. You're okay with that sickness. You're okay with that half-okay marriage. You're okay that your kids are three-quarter rebellious, just so long as they're not all rebellious. Conformity is just like yielding totally and completely to the devil because you're doing absolutely nothing with your faith. So that means you're not pleasing God. And I want to please God. Because you know what? I love you and I want to please you, but I want to please him because I know I'm going to spend eternity with him and not with you. Well, yeah, with you if you're coming with me. But but you understand what I'm saying. You're going to answer to God. So let's go back now. And look at these things and see what these guys did. Were their situations hopeless? Were they willing to conform? Did they conform? Let's look and see. Some people know the answers. Let's look back at Joseph. Go back to Joseph. And go ahead and turn there because I want you to see this. I want you to mark it in your Bible. 
I want us to take the time on this part. Look at Joseph, Genesis 41. Verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed a dream, and behold, he stood by a river. You know the story. We're getting back to the story about Joseph. Uh, Joseph was in jail. The Pharaoh dreamed a dream. Nobody could interpret the dream. Everybody tried. All the sorcerers, all the everybody in the country tried to interpret the dream. And the baker and the butler that were supposed to remember Joseph had forgot Joseph, and they remembered him at the time of the dream, right? So uh, they call out Joseph, and he interprets the dream for Pharaoh, and uh, so the Pharaoh tells him what? Verse 41, 41. Chapter 41, verse 41. Because he interpreted the dream, and he stood in faith for, you'll see how long in just a minute. It says in verse 41, Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Now that's a big difference from being in prison, isn't it? Over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried before him and bowed the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, is that is that conformity? Goes back to what Dave was talking about, faithfulness. Read the story of Joseph sometime. He did, and he ran those things just exactly like they were his things. He took care of them. He was faithful in those things. He didn't conform to just going into that prison and whining and feeling sorry for himself. He worshipped God, and he believed God. And he came out of there, ruler of Egypt. Look at verse 46. Now, you think your life has been bad for a long time. Look at this. Joseph was 30 years old. When he stood before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, how old was he back in verse 2 of chapter? How many years was that? Thirteen years. He was either in a pit or a slave or a, uh, in prison. Thirteen years. Now, your situation may have been going on thirteen years. But there's hope. Thirteen years, there's hope. He was made ruler over that kingdom. Because he didn't quit. Now they get gooder and gooder as we go on. David. 1 Samuel. Remember verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 1. Is where we started. We'll start. We'll read verse 6 again for just a minute. David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. Because everything that they had was what? Burned or destroyed. He was in a hopeless situation. But what did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. He didn't come to Dave and say, Dave, encourage me. Tell me I'm going to make it. That's a good thing. But when you don't got anybody around you, and you don't got anybody that cares whether you make it or not, there is an answer. Verse 6, encourage yourself in the Lord. And do what verse 8 says. Look at verse 8. And inquire of the Lord. 
as to what you're to do. Inquire of him and find out. And so he asked the Lord, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And the Lord said, uh, go pursue them and you will overtake them. Verse 18. The hopeless situation is just about to get turned around. To this point, it doesn't say that David knows his family is still alive. He's just ready to go get these guys. Doesn't say that he knows anything about them. But he found these guys. And in verse 18, David recovered a quarter of what the Amalekites had carried away and rescued one of his wives. David recovered all. All. In verse 19, there was nothing lacking to him, neither great or small, neither sons or daughters, neither spoil nor anything that had taken, he, they had taken from them. David recovered all. Now, did he settle and just stay at home and say, uh, you know, we'll have to get started on rebuilding the camp, guys. We'll have to do it without all of our wives and all of our families. God will help us, but no. He did more than conform. He overcame and recovered everything that he had. Now, that's a, a testimony from the Bible. I like modern-day testimonies. Do you like modern-day testimonies? I like to see what God's doing if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever as he was then. Right? Listen to this. These are some people in the church here. You want to hear it? Uh, Brian and Gayla, y'all stand up just a minute. Or should I call you Bear? Bear. Okay, Bear and Gayla. They came to the church here in 2000. Well, in 2001, they lost everything. They lost their home, their business, all of their farm equipment. They had to file bankruptcy because of so many lawsuits against them. And they didn't have any teaching about prosperity and about faith at that time. And they came to the church here. And uh, the same house that they lost in 2001, you got back. Is that correct? Listen to this. Listen to this. The exact same cattle that they lost in 2001, what happened? Got them back. Not only did they get those cows back, but they had been bred with a, what was it called? It's on here somewhere. Limousine bull and all having great stock calves. They got all of them back. Then they got their business back, restored to them. And it's growing all the time. And everything that had been taken from them has been restored to them. Is that correct? Everything that the devil tried to take has been restored. Y'all can be seated. Now, is that a good testimony? Is that what happened to David? They didn't just sit there and say, you know, people were telling them. Well, that's what I get tickled at, at people that don't believe in prosperity. Well, God's working something out in your life. Just wait. You'll see the answers. By and by. You hear it all the time. 
But no, they were unwilling to settle for that. They had something, the Bible says, deep calls unto deep. And there was something deep in them that said, this ain't right. We don't have to settle for this. They got up, they fought. They wound up with everything that had been taken from them, restored back to them again, better with calves from the cows. That's today, here, now, Faith Life Church. God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? So you had to file bankruptcy. Don't just stop there. Why are we telling this? You had to file bankruptcy. You lost your house. You lost your car. You lost your farm. You lost your business. What do you do? Just tell about the problem all the time? Or do you kick yourself and say, get up from there. Let's get in some faith. If he'll do it for them, he'll do it for me. If he'll do it for David, he'll do it for me. I'm going to have everything back seven times what the devil stole from me. Don't quit there. Start taking that ground back. Don't stay in that place that you were. Get your faith stirred up. Stoke that fire up. Believe God for it. Okay, let's look at another one. All right? So David overcame, right? All right? What about the Shunammite woman? Her son is what? D-E-A-D. Dead. Or what do they call it in the medical field? D-O-A. Dead on arrival. Dead. Doorknob dead. Hopeless. Dead. Okay? Let's see what happened to her. Before we see what happened to her, I want you to look at verse 22. Uh, what chapter? You want to know where it is? Yeah. Okay. Second Kings 4, 22. Remember this, what she said. Second Kings 4, 22. And it said, she called into her husband and said, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, uh, wherefore thou, will you go to him, whether it be the new moon or um, the Sabbath? And she said, what's the next words? It shall be well. And then she saddled her donkey and said to the servant, I like this part, that sounds like me, drive and go forward and don't slow down. Keep riding as fast as you can. Yeah, that's my interpretation of that. And then um, Gehazi sees her coming and um, uh, Elisha says, go to her and meet her and ask her what's going on. And uh, he says, run to her, I pray thee, meet her and say to her, is all well with thee? Is all well with your husband? And what is her response? Is all well with your child? Oh, no, he died. And I'm in such terrible, distraught chaos over the situation. He's dead. No, what was her words out of her mouth? It is well. You never confess the situation. You always say, it's turning around. It's getting better. It's going good for me. I'm going to be okay. You don't have to see the end result. Her child is dead. So don't tell me your situation is worse than hers was. Have you had a child to die? Did you say all is well and overcome? That's the only thing that you can do to be victorious. Elsewise, you'll wind up in a room, in a dark room, in an insane asylum, pulling the covers over your head because of depression. And they'll have you on medication. But she said, all is well. Okay? Um, 
so let's see let, where her, let me find her answer where her answer is right here um if i put it in here maybe i turned my page wrong two three got too many pages too much okay here we are i found it y'all thought she was gonna get out of it um so, then we're at second king still and um verse 21 what she, what did this lady do before she went to do that she went and got her son she took him she carried him upstairs she put him in the bed where the prophet stayed and she went out after the the prophet and she came back and she said on um, when he sees her she says all is well so that's where we are. He tells Gehazi, go and check on this child. Verse uh, 31. He says, Gehazi, take your rod, go in there. Gehazi pokes him with his rod and stuff, and he comes back, and, it, and uh, he laid his staff upon his face of the child, but there was neither voice or hearing. Wherefore, he went again to meet Elisha and told him, saying, the child is not awakened. In other words, that child is dead. That was his report. And verse 32. When Elisha came into the house, behold, the child was dead. And he laid upon the bed. And he went, therefore, and shut the door upon the two of them. Twain means two. Upon the two of them. And prayed to the Lord. And he went up and laid upon the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child. And the flesh of the child waxed warm then he returned and he walked into the house walked the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself on him again and the child sneezed or other translations say gasped seven times and did what opened his eyes is all becoming well is her confession working yes and so he called Gehazi and he said, get the Shunammite and tell her to come get your son. And she went and bowed down at his feet. So a hopeless situation. Did she settle for it? Did she say, okay, honey, we got to go find a tombstone. We got to get ready to bury our son. She did not settle for that. She sought God and she went to God and her son was literally raised from the dead. She was unwilling to settle for that. Totally and completely. Um, you want another testimony from here in the church? Back when we started the church, we had a couple in the church that, I mean, it seemed like the devil had attacked them from every area that there was to attack. Kurt and Kathy, y'all stand up, if you will. The devil had pretty much taken every dime that they had and given her Parkinson's disease. Is that correct? Parkinson's disease. But they don't look like they settled too much for me. They begin to say all is well. Just recently on Celebration Sunday, they came up to me and said that he got a job that he got to choose his salary. Now, that's not conformity, and that's not settling. I mean, choose his salary. Now, the devil had wrapped up and tied up in every way Kathy with Parkinson's. How many of you remember seeing her? Raise your hand. How many of you went and ministered to her? 
Several people wouldn't minister to her. She was shaking all the time. Her arms, it was just a bad situation in every direction. Does she look like she's shaking there to y'all? She is totally and completely healed. Unwilling to settle for what the devil threw at them, they began to get in the Word. They were here at the church every time the doors are open. She began working in children's when she felt like being in the bed. Unwilling to settle for what the devil threw at them. Now, they could have just closed the doors and lost everything that they had and, uh, and, and just buried themselves and said, forget God. What's he done for me? But no, they were unwilling to settle. Now, here, this year, Celebration Sunday, he got a new job. She actually can start working there if she wants. And God is turned completely around their situation. Thank you, guys. I mean, they refused to settle. Refused to conform to what the world had to say for them. You're going to lose everything you've got. You cannot be healed of this disease. You don't get healed of Parkinson's disease. It looked hopeless, didn't it? It looked like she was going the opposite direction. But she didn't go the opposite direction. She went up the hill and over the hill. Victorious on the other side. Victorious on the other side. Okay, let's look at Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Y'all got time? All right, let's look at them, see what happened to them. Where are they when we left them? They are in the midst of the fiery furnace. Now, that's a bad place to be. You ever felt like you were in a fiery furnace? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's look at Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. And he rose up in haste and he spake unto his counselors. Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? What's the answer? Absolutely. They answered and said, true, O king. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. And the form of the fourth man is like the son of God. So God didn't just leave him in that fiery furnace. He went down there and helped him out. He was with them in the midst of it. And Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the fiery furnace and he spake unto Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How do you speak to somebody that's in a fiery furnace? Wouldn't they be dead? He tells them to come forth. And they came forth out of the midst of the fire. Verse 27. And the princes and the governors and the captains and the kings and the counselors being gathered together saw them. And upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Neither was a hair on their head singed. Neither were their coats changed. Neither the smell of fire had passed on them. They came through it with flying colors. You couldn't even tell they'd been through it. They came out victorious on the other side. You couldn't tell they'd been in the fire. And so Nebuchadnezzar, you know, um, he promotes them and things go well for him then after that. But not for Nebuchadnezzar. But anyway, um, so he said, I want you to remember their response back in verse 17. Look at verse 17. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... It's response when he says he's going to throw them into the fiery furnace. 
He says, so you're going to throw me into the fiery furnace. If you do, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, did they go into that fiery furnace in fear, thinking they're going to die? They believed that God was going to deliver them out of that situation. And what did God do? He delivered them out of that situation. It looked bad. It looked hopeless. It looked like there was no way out of this. The biggest, strongest men throwing you into a fiery furnace. It's no need in fighting. You're going in. But their words. Do your words mean anything? Do they account for anything? Absolutely. It says, if you throw us in there, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. Did he deliver uh, Baron Gala? Did he deliver Kurt and Kathy? You want to hear another one? Do you like these? Yeah, I like them too. Carol Ann, would you stand up? Look at Miss Carol Ann over here. Doctors told her that they could not even do surgery on her. The cancer was too far gone. Too far gone. Most of you didn't know it. How often do you see her sitting in that seat? All the time. All the time. She has come through with not even the smell of chemo on her. Never getting sick. Never getting anything victorious and out on the other side of it. She has come out of this situation where they said they could not even operate. It was too bad. Look at her. Does she look like it's too bad? Healed and victorious. And don't she look like a special spunky little little lady now? I'm telling you what. I love it. I told her, I said, I love your hair. I think I, she, she reminds me of my personality with that little short spunky hair, you know. I mean, and that's her personality. She is that way. She is a go-getter. She's working now, driving herself everywhere she needs to go. Everything is turned around. And the world said, hopeless. Hopeless. The world said, hopeless. There was no hope for her. She was at the end. There was absolutely no hope for her. But she don't look hopeless to me. She looks like she's doing real well to me. I know she's doing real well. I know the situation. She has overcome. She refused to conform to what the world told her. She believed all through it. I'm going to be okay. Whatever it takes, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to come out of this on the other side. Whatever we have to do. She didn't lay in the bed and say, okay, I've got cancer. I can't go to church today. How far do y'all drive? 60, how long does it take you? An hour to get here every time. They drive an hour to get to church. And they're here all the time. Y'all see them, don't you? They're always there. Did y'all ever know anything was wrong? No. Because God has brought her through without even the smell of it touching her. Good report. Good report. I don't care what the devil tells you is hopeless. Guess what? Not hopeless. God's bigger than that situation. Let's look at Daniel. Are y'all having fun? Yes, yes, yes. I like Bible stories. I do. I like them. But I like to see it active today, here, now. 
Things that are happening in people's lives. Because God is the same. Daniel. Oh, poor Daniel. No way, not poor Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Can y'all find Daniel? All right. Now, this king, I'm telling you, you know, he fasted through the night and everything. I just believe he must have had a little bit of faith. He liked Daniel, and he did not want to put him in that lion's den. But he had to because of his decree. He had to keep his word. You shouldn't let people. That's one thing. If I ever see Keith get upset about something, it's because I'm trying to put pressure on him to do something that I want him to do that we haven't heard from God about. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Like recently we had a situation and I was aggravated about it. I don't, I was, no, I was mad and I was about to sick Dave on it. I'm, I'm telling you, I went out to the car and I said, tell him to tell him to fix that. And, uh, and Keith says, uh, whoa, whoa, we'll talk about it later. Dave just went, mm-hmm. And, uh, um, because I was mad. It was, the situation shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have ever been that way. But I was trying to put pressure on Keith to take care of that situation before he'd heard from God. And that'll make him madder than anything. That's the way you should be. When people try to push things off on you and you haven't heard from God, then you just get like an old mule in the middle of the road and you sit there and you say, no, I hadn't heard from God on this. And, of course, I listened to him and submitted and the situation just turned out good and I didn't blow my cool at the person. You know, I learned a long time ago, I don't just go to him when I'm mad. You know, I make somebody else do it because I, whew. I don't like unbelief and I don't like show and tell. That's two things. If you want to know what will aggravate me, it's unbelief and show and tell. Those two things. So if you ever want to make me mad, do those two things. Okay. If you never, never want to make me mad, then stay in faith and stay humble. Yes, glory to God. Let's look at Daniel. Daniel, that king had some faith because he rose up very early in the morning and went with haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with lamentable, with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. Well, now Daniel should be dead. But he cried out to him, and the king spoke to Daniel and said, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God, whom you serve continually, able to deliver you from the den of lions? What did Daniel say? Yes, glory to God, I'm here, O king. And then verse 22, it said, My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not hurt me, for as much as uh, from the innocency that they found in me, O king, I have no hurt on me. Then the king was exceeding glad and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up from out of the den, and no manner of hurt was upon Daniel. Because, why? Because he believed God. He believed God. And the next verse is really neat. Don't you like the next verse? Yeah, really neat. And the king commanded, I am merciful. Just don't kid yourself, I am. I show mercy all the time. But I like this verse. They brought those men that had accused Daniel and cast them into the den of lions, them and their children and their wives, and the lions had a feast with them. And they broke their bones in pieces when they came to the bottom of the den. And so then... um, 
the king made a decree that everybody had to serve the living God. Because why? He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth, and he delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel did what? He conformed? He quit praying? No. He did exactly what he felt like he was supposed to do, and he believed God for the outcome of it, and he overcame. He overcame out of the lion's den. You want another testimony? Y'all like them? Y'all want me to stop with them? Okay. Is Kendra here? Yeah. Miss Kendra, would you stand up, please? I guess it was last summer. Last summer, Keith and I were on our way to do something, and we got a call from Dave saying that Gayla had just called him and was distraught, which you would be. I really get aggravated at doctors sometimes. They told her that first Kendra started hurting in her jaw. Wasn't it? Your jaw started hurting, and so they started taking her to the doctor, and they found out that she had, what was it called? I got the paper. Ewing sarcoma. Ewing sarcoma. Do you know what that is? All these names for these things. They gave her only a 30% chance to live. 30% chance. They were, of course, I mean, the first thing of it, you're distraught. You hear 30%. What do you do? They didn't bend a knee. They were here with us talking with Dave. We were telling Dave, tell him this. We weren't here. Tell him that. Do this. Do that. Get into those tapes on healing. Do this. They didn't back down an inch. An inch. What was the last report? Clinical remission is all they have to say. Totally healed is what I have to say. Totally and completely healed. It looked like her situation was hopeless. Not only that, but she's ministered to people in the hospital. They've had testimony after testimony. These young people, I mean, God has brought her through this. I mean, it has been miraculous how well she's been through this whole thing. I mean, just you see a 17-year-old that comes through something as well as she did. I want to see them. I'm telling you what. They were here. They, I mean, they get in from being there and be here at church on Friday night. I mean, going through all that stuff. I mean, it's just miraculous what God will do if you'll give him an opportunity to do it. They did not conform to that report that those doctors gave. They did not bend their knee. She is here. She's alive. It's sure a lot better seeing her sitting over there than than behind a tombstone for her grave today because she died with this, whatever it was called. They They labeled it something. But it's nothing but the devil trying to attack you. It doesn't matter what it's named or how severe it is or if they gave you a 5% chance to live. Or if you lost everything you had, you don't have to conform to that. You do not have to settle for that. You can overcome those things. So we have gotten to the point where we found out about all these people. Um, there's another guy that we didn't cover for just a minute. But what about Joshua? What about Caleb? Did they conform? Did they go with the crowd? They said, we're going to have the promised land. We're going to have the best that God has for us. We're unwilling to settle for second best. We want the best of everything that he has for us. I'm unwilling to back down. Joshua, I see that area over there. Man, I'm going to call that like he says, Joshuaville. You know, it's got grapes that two men have to carry. It's got streams and rivers and, and green grass and wonderful things. When you've been in the wilderness, green grass looks real good. 
They were unwilling to settle like all the other people were. It doesn't matter if everybody in your city is willing to settle. You don't have to be. You can be an overcomer. You can, if you thought your situation was hopeless, it couldn't have been as hopeless as some of these guys, what they told them. Or you'd have done told us about it probably. Their situations, all these people, the, the people in the Bible, the people in the church, I know their situation was totally hopeless. It looked like there was no way out for them. Couldn't find a job. I mean, it was like it was going from bad to worse, and she was getting sick, and they were losing stuff, and it was not a good situation. But they were unwilling to settle for it. Got to choose his own salary. I know what it was. It was good. It was real good. Now, that was not that long ago. Was it been three years? Two and a half? Something like that. It hadn't been that long ago. I mean to go from that to that that quickly. From being in prison to standing with kings. To running the nation. You do not have to settle for what the devil sends your way. You do not have to conform and just have those headaches or have that problem or have that neck problem or have those other problems. You do not have to settle for any of those things. You can overcome and come out victorious with no smell of smoke on you from what went before. But you don't do it by sitting still and wanting someone to do it for you. Carol Ann, did you have to fight? Every day did you have to fight? Did you have to confess your scriptures? Every day. Kendra, did you have to fight? Every day. I'm healed. I'm healed. Gayla, I know. You and Brian Bear had to fight. You had to believe God to get your stuff back. I know they had to fight. We sent people with them to help them fight. Sometimes you're too weak to fight by yourself. There's encouragement. That's what we're here for. We'll send a troop in there. We'll overtake the devil. We'll run him out of there. I mean, we sent people in there with them when it looked hopeless for her. They'd read scripture to her. How many hours, guys? Eight hours a day. Healing scriptures. It's, it takes putting your hand to something. It don't just fall on you. It doesn't just happen. You have to actively be putting yourself in faith. You have to actively be doing something. If you're not actively doing something, you're going backward. Nothing. Nothing that the devil sends to you can overtake you if you inquire of the Lord and you seek God about it. There's no financial situation. There's no marriage situation. It may look like your marriage was over six years ago and you're still in it. God can show you and change one thing and turn the whole thing around. I am happier now than I have ever been in my entire life. It's ridiculous. Keith left yesterday. I followed his plane on the on our computer. I can follow him wherever he is, you know. He says, it's like I have a, a wrist, an ankle band around my ankle. You know where I am <laughs> all the time. I said, yeah, you were flying at 23,000 feet and you were going 250 miles an hour. And he said, yeah, that's right. So uh, I knew when he landed. I knew when he got there. He called me as soon as he got there. He called me when he got to the hotel. He called me last night. We stayed on the phone. It's like we're we're dating again. I mean, we are so happy. We don't even want to be apart. I mean, last night, I mean, he's trying to get ready for a service. I'm trying to get ready for a service. And we're talking about everything under the sun. And we've only been apart a few hours. I love him. 
But I hated him at one point. No, I never hated him. I was miserable at one point. Your flesh wants to. Because that's the way the devil is. He wants to destroy. He knows if he can keep you in this conformity, you will do nothing for God. You will not be able to help anybody because you can't help yourself. You can't give away a car because you don't have one yourself. You can't pay somebody else's light bill because you don't have the money to pay your light bill. Don't settle for conformity. And there's one other person that came out victorious. Can anybody tell me who it was that the situation looked really bad for? Jesus! Did the situation look bad for Jesus? I mean, do you think if you were hung on a cross that your situation might look kind of bleak? Then you went to hell. Woo, it could look bad. It could look bad. But there's no hopelessness with God. Zero. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, victorious, interceding for us here today. Because he overcame death, hell, the grave, and everything everybody threw at him. Every person threw at him. Stand up on your feet. Thank you, Lord. Let's thank him for just a minute. And I want you to make this confession after me this morning. If you feel like you can, say these words with me. Father God, I am an overcomer. I will not conform. I will not settle. I refuse to settle. For where my life is right now, I will go up. I will be a greater vessel for you. I'll do things for you. Because of the things that I've overcome. I'll have the finances I need. I'll have the health I need. I'll have the money. I'll have the willing power. To do anything that you ask me to do. Because I am an overcomer. I refuse to settle. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you believe it, thank him for helping you to do that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We have a bunch of overcomers in here this morning. Yes, overcomers. We overcome the things the devil throws at us. We don't have to stay where we are. We can get better and better and better every day. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Well, I enjoyed doing that because I like overcoming. Yes, glory to God. I don't like settling. So um, if you will, for just a moment, have a seat. And we're going to um, do one other thing before we dismiss you this morning. And we let Mr.